Thank you, Nicola. Uh, actually, thank you for such an amazing organization again. You guys pulled it off. Uh, so Nicolas and his team at Capital Link deserve a very warm congratulation. Um, I want to thank uh, the, the panelists, uh, the esteemed panelists who are with us. Um, all of these are investors who uh, basically participated in one way or another um, in Greece and are mostly invested there as well. Um, just to make a quick intro and then I'll give everybody a couple of minutes. Uh, Stephen Johnson with um, uh, Wilbur Ross, um, John Kudunis, uh, who is the CEO of Calamos Investment, uh, John Wallen, uh, who is the portfolio manager and founder of uh, Waterwheel, uh, Kyle Bass, who is the chief investment officer of Heyman Capital, and Theo Yatragos, who is the managing director and head of IB Central and Southeastern Europe. Uh, Stephen, let's um, go down the line and, and make a small intro into your experience in Greece and uh, uh, Wilbur Ross and what you guys have done in the country. Sure. Yeah, I hope this is on. Good. Hi, Steve Johnson. Um, really, I guess, been with my group now for 10 plus years. Um, started doing a lot of MPL framework, um, renegotiating some deals that we had owned both from a private equity standpoint as well as some other assets we'd purchased over the way. Um, currently, we're an investor in Eurobank. I sit on the board of the bank um, now. I actually joined the bank the day of the referendum being announced. So I've been on a capital control bank board for the entire time in Greece. Um, other than that, we have about a billion in shipping assets to across the world, so. Great. John? Yes, I'm uh, John Kadunis. I'm uh, CEO of Calamos Investments. And I've been going to Greece for, uh, well, all my life. But the last several years, probably the last six, seven years, I've been going during, uh, uh, with some of my other investor friends. Uh, before I worked with John Calamos, I would go with him. I'd go with Dimitropoulos. And we would look at different uh, uh, investments during that uh, course of time. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I joined Calamos <coughs> Investments, and since then uh, we invested. We started investing in Greece uh, last December. It was our first uh, acquisition of a smaller insurance company, um, and then we uh, tendered and won the tender for Ethnikias Valistiki, which is a larger insurance company. So we thought the timing was right, and I think that's what this panel is about. We're going to talk about uh, why we think that is. John? Hi. Um, my name is John Wolin uh, from Waterwheel uh, Capital Management. Um, I, uh, I've spent uh, the last five or six years uh, pretty deeply involved in Greece, but formerly at uh, my former firm called Old Alden Global Capital. Uh, I recently spun, uh, spun this firm out into a, into a new uh, registered investment advisor, Waterwheel, which uh, we started up on November 1st. Um, we are focused in the public markets, so uh, the GGBs, uh, bank equities, and other equities uh, were long short, so at different times over the last five years we've been both long and short, various different securities, uh, but focused on the public markets. Um, hi, I'm Kyle Bass. Uh, my first trip to Greece was 2009, where I met uh, the finance minister at, the, at that point in time where he handed me an Invest in Greece. Um, FOB, and it was uh, the number of properties that they were going to auction off in the next 12 to 18 months uh, to repay all of the outstanding sovereign obligations and everything was going to be fine. 
back in 2009. I, I saved that, uh, Fab, uh, to, to have as a, a matter of record going forward. But Greece has come a long way. We invest globally. Uh, and I think Greece is the single most interesting place in the world to be allocating capital to today, given the fact that it's gone through such a difficult economic period. I see um, all of the signs in the macro economy of Greece are turning up, and it looks like um, this government is starting to embrace all of the things that need to be done uh, to turn Greece around. So um, with that, uh, we invest in both the public and the private markets and uh, have had relationships with uh, Axia and some friends, George, uh, in Greece for a long time, and uh, we're excited about uh, the opportunity. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Theo Yatrakos. Um, I'm a managing director at City, and the only member on this panel who is not an investor, but rather uh, facilitating and helping um, our clients, whether it's governments, corporates, financial institutions, and ultimately institutional investors to, uh, uh, to conduct their business. And um, you know, clearly it's been an interesting ride last five or six years. Um, I do remember that you know, back in 2011 or 2012, some of our clients, predominantly the Greek government, um, entrusted us with the privilege of soliciting investor interest and raising awareness for a number of important projects, be it Hellenicon, regional airports, Astir, and so on and so forth. Uh, clearly, there is a common denominator, and probably we're going to talk about it, which is that things take time. Uh, some of those projects, which we started working on in 2011, we're actually still working on or we recently completed. Uh, but I think you know, the other theme that uh, you know, probably we should be touching on is we're talking about a very different sort of conversations that we're having with prospective investors versus five years ago. And these are different conversations both vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the macro backdrop, uh, but also the way that, 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 that investors look at the risk profile of successful uh, Greek businesses and, uh, and looking for, uh, for the champions in which they want to invest uh, uh, their hard-earned capital. Um, Kyle, you mentioned a couple of things that were pretty interesting. First of all, um, you and the other investors are global investors. Um, also, your thought process of how to invest in Greece evolved over the years. Can you give us a little bit of your current perspective, like what, in essence, is the driver behind uh, your current thesis um, about Greece uh, as it relates to government, as it relates to the opportunity set, uh, and get into a little bit more detail. And actually, I'd love to hear the views because what I mentioned about you uh, stands for the other three investors as well. Okay. Uh, one other thing I left out, I was telling Theo that uh, my wife and I just named our puppy after him. We named a, our puppy Theo. I thought I never meant it. Look, as far as the macro economy is concerned in Greece, you know, no matter how you look at the indicators, I know for those of you that live in Athens and live, live across Greece, it doesn't really feel like things are turning yet. But from the macroeconomic e perspective, whether you're looking at cement production, new vehicle registrations were, I guess, announced last night, up 16.5% up um, year over year. Um, new tourist arrivals hit, a, hit an all-time high. And when I was in Greece, I guess, in early October, the first direct flight from Beijing landed. And, uh, you know, to see the Chinese take over Syntagma Square was, 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 a, was an event to be seen. And that was just the beginning. And so I think when you look at, at um, basic economic activity, as any macroeconomist looks at, it is starting to turn. It's starting to turn for the first time in eight years. You know, we've had a 30% real GDP decline, which 
that is a full great depression in any economy when you have a 30% real GDP decline. So uh, from our perspective, uh, it's, it's starting to turn. Clearly, there's a lot of work to do. Clearly, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but it, it is the most exciting time to be considering investing in Greece. Uh, so from our perspective, that's why we're there. And, and when we look at, at the Greek banks, you know, pre-crisis, pre they had about 60 billion of equity. Uh, you know, today, I think the collective cap of the banks, the big four, uh, is like, you know, $7 billion on, on, a, on, a, on an economy. So when you look at, at Greek bank uh, market cap to GDP, it's the cheapest uh, bank market cap to GDP in the world. Uh, so I think, it's a, I think it's just a fascinating opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it off to John. Well, <clears throat> I, I, I would, uh, a few other things, I think. Um, you know, the, the way we think about it is, is uh, relatively simplistically, I think, which is that um, if you look at uh, through the first half of 2017, and really for the two and a half years uh, up until the first half of 2017, um, you had to read Grexit uh, on the front page of the FT and the Wall Street Journal, you know, five times a week. Um, at different times, it was five times a week. Sometimes it was only five times a month. But Grexit kept popping up. In June of 2017, um, uh, with the agreement on the second, uh, second review of the third memorandum. Um, after that, the idea of Grexit has sort of been taken off the table. So um, markets don't react immediately, and especially scarred markets like Greece is deeply, deeply scarred. It hasn't reacted uh, very, very quickly to the idea that the political risk is very largely off the table. Uh, but, but we think that uh, obviously there are signs that that is coming true. Like, for example, um, you know, this, this bond exchange, everyone talks about the bond exchange, it's a, it, it's a great thing, we agree with that. But um, Greek government bonds, the 10-year is currently trading at 450. And it was trading at 7% coming into this year and it's trading at 6% coming into the fourth quarter. It's tightened by 150 basis points in two months. Uh, you'll not find that in any economy anywhere in the world, uh, almost any time. And what you certainly won't find is an equity market that has not reacted to that really materially in any way whatsoever. So the Greek equity market has not followed bond yields uh, up, uh, you know, yields down and, and the equity market up. So we would expect that over time that will happen as people start coming out using lower discount rates and models and showing that the, you know, future value of, pre of, uh, of, of present value of future cash flows is much, much higher. The other thing is, you know, Kyle refers to a $60 billion market cap of the Greek banks uh, before the crisis. Uh, the Greek banks had a 36 billion euro market cap in 2014. So in the first recovery of the crisis in 2014, they were trading at six times where they're trading right now. Now, I'm not making a call that they're going back to where they were in 2014, but that gives you a sense of the possibility um, of investing in those, those bank equities. John, you want to give us your perspective sure, since I, you're, I, you're new in the market as well, relatively. Absolutely. I agree uh, wholeheartedly with Kyle and John. Uh, Kyle, you talk about GDP. We got three quarters in a row with positive GDP. John, you're talking about bonds, and definitely when you redo the bond, you need to uh, get more liquidity, and that's why they did that, and it was very successful. And if you look at the returns just this year, like you said, we're talking about over 19% of increase, and in a total rate of return, it's over 23%. It's the number one performing bond in Europe. So people need to realize that it's real. It's not over. It's not perfect. But there are definitely, definitely things that are happening. And uh, a lot of that, let's look at credit rating to upgrades as well. So there are things that are happening. They're all positive. That's one of the reasons we took a dip into the market and look at it, because 
we do feel this is the time, and there's a lot of good things that are happening. Great. Stephen, you want to? Yeah, I mean, I, there's no reason to belabor the point. If it does move up six times, <laughs> I'm going to name my puppy that I don't own yet after you, too. So. Um, hold you to that. Good, good. <laughs> no, I think the rating agency moves. Um, I think that the change to foreclosure law, a lot of things that have helped the banks to really provide a pathway to dealing with the two things that we're not talking about, one being the NPLs, which I know we'll get into at some point. But with an NPL framework as large as it is, a lot of people want to see that. It's a show-me state. Show me what you're going to do with that before I'm going to start to give credit for the equity story. And that will come to roost over the course of the next two to three years in a positive way for the banks, I believe. But the other piece of it, too, that we need to be cognizant of is all of those positives are great. The foreign direct investment component, the exogenous piece, that really needs to continue to push through so that with some of that off the plate, with that addressed with the, um, the third and fourth reviews, I think that they're going to be in a tremendous place come mid-year, hopefully, 2018. Great. Uh, Theo, you and uh, Siri and Axia, I mean, we, we share a lot as far as visibility yeah. on, on who and what they do in Greece, but I'd love to get your perspective um, and Siri's perspective on the type of investments and investors that you see right now uh, showing the most interest. Um, sure. And I, I think, you know, if you can touch a little bit on, on what John Wallen said a little bit earlier about the equities lagging, is there interest for Greek equities? And if not, um, is there a reason why global investors are not as uh, bullish on um, equities as they are on uh, GGBs, let's say? Sure. So, so that's a fascinating point, uh, how, how the equity market has not um, you know, jumped back to, 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 to reflect what we see in the credit markets. Um, th there are some parallels to be drawn with 2014. The reality is that a lot of the market cap of 2014 was effectively state money. It was effectively a, la a much larger chunk of HFSF money. Um, and I think you know, the, you know, the question is, you know, how fast can the private sector um, catch up with that? Um, Greece has consistently and underperformed throughout the crisis in the very crude metric of um, total market cap to GDP. So whatever you go, the Buffett index or whatever you want to call it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's performed below its own cycle, cycle through levels as well as below where you see other European markets trading through on a, on a, on a cycle through basis. Now, having said that, you know, in, terms of, in terms of public market opportunities, Greece has always been dominated by the banking sector. This is, you know, the predominant component uh, of, um, um, of, of, of its market capitalization. Um, and I think, you know, it's going it's, uh, it's to be very much a question of, dri of banks driving, uh, you know, any potential surge. And it goes back to the very topical uh, points made earlier today on the ability to, um, uh, to go about the quality of the balance sheet and the ability to go back to sustainable profitability in the banking sector. Uh, of course, we will always have, you know, in a sort of, you know, being nimble about opportunities and find, finding, you know, micro businesses where one uh, wants to invest. But if you want to see systematic rise in, uh, uh, in the stock market, it's going to be, it will need to be driven by, uh, by the banking sector. In terms of, and, and, and this is, and I think this kind of, you know, highlights, you know, the, 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 the demand that we see from a public market perspective, you know, of people looking whether at equity or credit. There are people who are going to follow the market and there are people we're just going to be opportunistic about, about smaller opportunities. Uh, I believe the more interesting question is, what kind of investors do you see on the private side of the equation? Uh, what kind of you know, private equity 
um, approach to life do people take around Greece? Um, and again, probably, you know, you can actually cluster them in, you know, three or four different categories. You had some of them, you know, more brave or lacquer, whatever you want to label them, uh, pockets that looked at Greece and actively invested in Greece on the private equity side back in 2012 or 2013. Probably a common denominator between those investors would be that, uh, you know, they had a more flexible mandate, they had the ability to, to react to investment decisions. I always make case in point um, uh, the, the, the constellation of investors who, uh, who bought the 33% in OPAP, which was a very brave decision, was a difficult investment decision at the time, both in terms of the macro backdrop, but also in terms of getting conviction, can I control a listed company you know, with a minority stake? And, and these were investors who took this conviction and certainly realized extraordinary value. And then obviously as you move, as you move across you know, the spectrum of, of risk and, and types of investors, you, know, you come to today where you have bulge bracket private equity firms, if you want to call them that, whether it's CVC or BC partners, and there the angle always needs to be business specific and you need to find a Greek denominated business where value can be, can be, can be explored because their, their, their revenues are very extrovert, they come from outside Greece, or because there is some other you know, alpha generator, whether it's you know, the roll-up of a sector, like what, for example, CVC is trying to do at this stage with the, in terms of the healthcare space. And I think you know, to, to, to wrap up this you know, kind of long-winded response, uh, uh, it's fair to say that right now there are very few investors who have not spent time trying to understand Greece. One of the colleagues mentioned it. It's, it's such an extraordinary value opportunity. You will not find people who didn't spend the time to do their homework, uh, but not a lot of them have invested yet. And, and, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of the value to be unlocked will come from those people actually getting conviction uh, around value. Great. And um, again, boring a little bit on what Steve said, but a common denominator with the comments. I mean, we're seeing the de-risking of the, of the sovereign being the major driver behind economic activity and uh, confidence in the market. Um, the, the banks have committed to uh, a 40% NP reduction by 2019, and uh, we're beginning to see you know, certain actions. Um, how instrumental do you think um, is the unlocking of the NPL market? And um, how would you look to participate in it? Let's start with Steve, and then we'll go down the road. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Well, directly or indirectly, you're invested in the bank, so... That's right. <laughs> I, I think that no one can give credit to the book value if they don't believe the book value is real. So burn down book value is a simple way to think about a bank. If you're going to have a 25% discount from where it is on a net basis, well, then it should be trading at a discount to that to get you some return. Um, the, what the banks have been so good about doing over the last several years, and driven really by that stress test a couple of years ago, is funneling so much into reserves right out of the gates. So from an actual provisioning level, you're at 50 plus percent. When you look at it relative to the security that's on the package, if you believe the actual security and stabilization in the end markets, then you're at 100 percent plus. So there's a real clearing point and then the question is, who are the, uh, who are the people that are most interested? I think that the NPL trade over the course of the next um, probably two to three, four quarters is going to start with some of the lower hanging fruit. Unsecured loans charged off um, are really a pretty interesting, quick opportunity to keep ahead of the Troika um, guidelines. What that is, is it's providing people like Interim Justicia and some of the other players that have been so strong hoist um, in the market to be participants. 
then it's going to trail into some of the other uh, corporate and, and SMEs. But uh, there, you have to kind of think about it on an individual component basis. But I do think that as they stay ahead of the game on these, as they look at securitization or other ways to manage different parts of the book, you're going to see that uh, there's more credence given to those that have servicing capability on the board, as well as um, the actual clearing price of these, such that you can really start to give value for the book value itself. And then you'll see a re-rating in the stocks. So the keys optimization of NPLs prior to sales and sell whatever yeah. is marketable. And you have, to give, you have to give some people a little chance to make money along the way, too. So having yeah. third parties there to participate. Okay. And uh, John Wallen, um, you're an investor in banks as well. Um, can you give us a little bit of your feedback on the same question and what would you want to see the banks do that maybe they're not doing as aggressively right now? <clears throat> sure. Well, so if you look at the Greek banks, the Greek banks are very much, um, it's, a large, it's a large MPE play or NPL play. Um, and uh, whether they're worth where they're trading now, whether they're worth a lot more or, or less, depends upon um, almost entirely what comes out of uh, the MPL portfolio. If it goes poorly, things will be bad. If it goes well, things will go very, very, very well. Um, and tied up in that is, of course, the elephant in the room, which is the stress test coming in the first half of this year or so, uh, first half of next year, I should say. And, and um, you know, I, I, someone told me a couple weeks ago, they said, well, no one's ever made money investing in Greek banks in front of a stress test. If you look back at 2015, clearly that was true. I would argue 2015 was different um, from many, many, many uh, different perspectives from political to economic to the actual fundamentals of the banks. Um, uh, uh, but in 2014, it's also true you didn't make money um, if you invested in the Greek banks in front of the stress test in, in late 2014, but that's because of the sort of political cataclysms that occurred through 2015 as opposed to anything that happened within the stress test uh, itself. And so um, from our perspective, we, we, we look at these very large uh, NPL and MPE portfolios uh, and it's very difficult from the outside to say, okay, well, I know I can stick a pin in it and um, uh, I can say I know exactly what these things are worth. But what you, what you can do is you can say, um, uh, I can probability weight this. I can think a little bit about what happens if, uh, if we end up uh, that these are either appropriately marked or undermarked, in which case you make a ton of money. And you can see what happens uh, on the, in the alternative scenario. And with banks trading at 0.15 times book, you know how much you can lose. You can lose that much money. Um, and with banks with the pre-provision profitability that these banks have, uh, and with um, you know, the potential um, on the upside, uh, obviously from 0.15 times book, we think it's a multiple many, many, many uh, times of that. Also, as I suggested earlier. Um, and so um, you know, I think a lot of this is gonna come out related to the stress test over the next six months. Uh, and if there is a relatively benign um, or a completely benign response to the stress test, then within the next six months, uh, these things are going to be trading a lot higher. Um, and so in that instance, you just have to think right now, you know, you have to be involved now or, you do, or, or not if you're going to take advantage of that um, over the next six months. So that's the way I would think of that. Um, it's not being able to stick a pin in, okay, they're perfectly appropriately marked. I know that. I think any bank in the world, if you took, you know, J.P. Morgan and you forced them to liquidate their whole portfolio tomorrow, they would run through all their book value. So if you do that to the Greek banks, they're going to run through all their book value. Um, but if a slower, more measured, and intelligent approach is used by the regulators, um, then, then you won't. And so that's the way I would think about it. Kyle, anything to add on, uh, on NPLs and on your view? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what John just said. I think that, you know, one of the other things that we talked about was confidence. You know, the couple of elephants in the room with Greece are, you know, we just went through a, a couple of exercises. One was with the IMF rattling the cages saying we need another bank recap. Uh, I thought that was unfounded, and we can kind of get into our views on that if you want to. I know there's a large panel here, but I think the other elephant in the room is, you know, we really just went through a scenario where the notaries, uh, didn't feel like they were protected enough to actually go through with the electronic auctions, which, you know, I'm wondering, you know, are we in a third world country or are we in a member of the EMU? You know, in the U.S., if you jump on an administrative law judge's desk or a judge's desk, the bailiff will shoot you. Um, and in Greece, uh, these gangs were coming in and, and canceling these procedures. So there are kind of a few keystone cop things going on in Greece that we still need to get our arms around. And I know Minister Sakalotis, uh has addressed a lot of those issues, but you know, if they need the help, we can send some teams in to make sure that the notaries are gonna be okay to get these things done. And we laugh, but let this thing, these things are actually going on today in 2017, which is kind of hard to believe. So I think for us, to, for us the global investment community, to really get confidence and get confidence moving forward, um, we need some of these kind of basic things to get taken care of. And I know these, it's not as easy as, as we say it is. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, let's say some of the customs uh, that are kind of deeply embedded in the Greek culture have to change. And I, the good news is, is meeting with the various bank CEOs, CFOs, uh, and the government, it seems to me like um, people are willing to put the effort in to change those things. And so, that's, I, I think there are, there are obviously reasons why things are, are priced where they are, as John was just saying. Uh, and, and I think that um, all of these confluence uh, factors get us to where we are today. But I think that, um, I think there's enough effort being put into some of these um, projects to move these things forward. So you, you stuck to the beautiful macro thesis and it was very powerful, but you do see the, the little nitty gritty details and you're still there, which is very inspiring, Kyle. Um, but John Kadunis, you're involved in quite a significant transaction with Ethnic Yesfalistiki. Uh, we wanted to understand a little bit the logic behind that transaction, what motivates you, and are there nuances, nuances there that you're dealing with or things that you didn't expect uh, when it comes down to Greek reality? Look, every large transaction will, you know, is largely you know, complex. So. Uh, there are complexities, uh, it is Greece as well, but for the most part, why did we invest uh, in this transaction? When we're global investors and when we look at things, we looked at the asset and the asset was actually very, very good performing. We thought there were some low hanging fruits that we could actually change and, and make it even a better performing. And it was during a time where the environment, the underlying sovereign, uh, was in a crisis, is in a crisis, even though we feel strongly that we're starting to come out. So when you look at an asset that's performing well and that you feel that you can improve it immensely, in a really difficult environment, the upside we felt and we still feel is extremely high and the delta is really, really strong there. So uh, we feel when the economy turns around, um, the asset will, uh, you know, do extremely well. It's doing well now. So that's what we looked at. We looked at the actual asset first, then we looked at the country, and the upside 
on both were tremendous. That's why we went in. Great. Um, and as a closing, and then we'll open it up for, for some questions. Um, how do you see Greece adapting to a new reality? What's your vision of the country? Let's start with 2018 and let's say three or five years out. Uh, what do you see, especially with um, some investors that are basically in, uh, in larger, more illiquid type of investments that we know that we're going to see them around a few years from now, unless there's a quick exit. But, uh, so maybe we start with, uh, with Steve and we go down the line as far as 2018, what, what is the, the... Yeah, I, I mean, I, our view is we feel very good about what the next year or two look like. I mean, you've got the global upheaval around tourism, things that are happening in Egypt, things that happen even in Turkey, which really provide an opportunity and which is why you've seen 9 to 10% year-over-year growth in uh, tourism, which as tourist assets have been a real attractive area for growth, you've been able to see more trades in that space on even the MPL front. Um, I, I do think that they're going to have a tremendous opportunity to grow when you think about um, what GDP can be for next year. Uh, I think one important thing to think about, you know, you have 34 months of uh, consumer confidence increases um, at such a good rate now, but uh, imports were uh, 9% this last year, and that is going to hurt GDP. So getting back into some component of an export-driven economy is going to be a key fundamental for those three to five-year run. And actually doing a lot on the FDI side, I think, is going to be important. So you have a good two-year trajectory. I think you have an even shorter-term um, whip from an improved and a beneficial view of the stress test that comes out, John. Um, but after that, it's going to be the real blocking and tackling to say, what are we now doing from an investment side? How are we doing what we need to do from a tax um, tax side so that there is more interest in people coming in and, and really driving foreign investment. So I'm, I'm sanguine, I'm very optimistic, especially on the near term, but um, when some of those real opportunities around tourism start to wane because hopefully the global economy or the global tourism market finds a way to stabilize, I want to see that Greece is still in that great position. And as an investor in uh, one of the systemic banks, we always say banking is a warrant on the economy. So really are very optimistic about where our position and our investment stands relative to that macro overlay. Well, one of the biggest um, uh, things that Greece has for it's, it going for it is tourism. And like you said, this year we had 30 million people visit Greece. It's a record. We expect more next year, uh, especially with what's going on geopolitically in, in our, with our neighbors. So that's a fantastic thing. And it's only going to get better. And so the country can continue to build on that. We still need more hotels. They still need the infrastructure to accommodate all these tourists. And like you said, Kyle, you know, now the Chinese are making it more of a tourist attraction as well. So that's going to bring in a lot more people. So that's a great thing for the country. Also, despite who, you know, the political party in office, they've been in office for what's been a longer period of time than other parties in the last few years. So that brings a certain source of stability to the country as well. So that combination, I think, is, is also positive going forward. Great. John Wallen, your outlook for 18 and beyond? Well, um, you know, I, I, think, um, I think this is one of the reasons why this conference and other conferences like this are, are so important for Greece because, you know, I think someone mentioned earlier today the, the, draw the drawdown in the Greek economy from pre-crisis to now 
um, is largely um, a starvation of, uh, of investment. There are other consumptions, much lower, obviously. But you look at the difference between 240 or whatever billion euros uh, of GDP and 175, more than half of that is, is, is reduced investment. Um, and um, I'm not arguing that there is a chance that Greece goes back to 2007 levels of investment. I don't think really anywhere in the world is going to do that. And it's a good, it's a good thing that we don't, uh, given what happened immediately thereafter. Um, but, um, but Greece is underinvested and is starved for investment. And so um, I think the thing, the, the one key missing piece to the puzzle right now uh, for Greece to recover uh, is substantially increased investment. And it's across the board. It's in everything. It's obviously in sectors like tourism and energy, uh, but it's really in manufacturing, but, it, but it's, it's really straight across the board. And, um, uh, and, and so um, what I would argue is that if if Greece is able uh, to prove uh, the stability, uh, you know, from whichever political perspective it comes from, if it's able to prove the stability and the attractiveness of the, um, of the investment opportunity and the idea that things aren't going to change every one year, two years, three years, the rules aren't going to change, um, then you're going to see substantially dramatic investment in Greece. And that will allow the Greek government, which is running, you know, sort of unprecedented primary surpluses, which will then be higher, uh, to reduce taxes, which will, you know, in fact, increase investment uh, and, and, uh, and, and growth opportunities again. So I'm very, very optimistic if the positive scenario turns out. Um, and I'm optimistic that it will turn out. Um, uh, but um, so sticking a pin in a number, 1.3, 1.7, um, 2.1, I think all those things are sort of like, who cares? Uh, the answer is, is that if Greece is able to do this going forward in 2019 and beyond, the numbers will be much, much higher for a short period of time than people in this room can imagine or fathom. That's our view. That's a, that's a tough act to follow, John. <laughs> Say what uh, happens if it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, well, like I'll, I will take a little bit of the other side of, of, let's just say what we worry about. I agree with every, literally agree with everything John just said. Um, I think that, um, we, look, we think that, uh, we, that the Greek economy is, is uh, on the proper trajectory. We think that um, once we get through IFS, IFRS 9 and we get through the stress test, we get through banks moving NPLs and MPs off the balance sheets that, that the economy is going to be unlocked and, and move higher. What, what we focus on, you know, geopolitical risk is the real risk. You know, we have, we have another Catalonian kind of referendum December 21st, and, and our view is that um, um, Rajoy is going to actually lose this one. And does that mean that there's going to be a secession? We don't think so. We think they'll come up with some sort of bargain, but that will provide some, some problems uh, for global investment for a few weeks. Um, you have the Italian elections next year. You have uh, the large guy in North Korea that likes to shoot missiles. And you have the US you know, building up uh, arsenals in Guam. You have all these things going on that um, you need to be thinking about uh, or temper our enthusiasm for Greece with all of these crazy things going on. So as far as what could go wrong in Greece, uh, I think Greece is on the right trajectory. I think it's what could go wrong with all of its neighbors is another story. Uh, so you need to pay a lot of attention there. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of very intelligent things can be spoken. So maybe, maybe I take... I take the question of what, how does Greece look like five years down the line or, 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 or beyond. And, and um, I'm pretty confident that you know, in, the, in the medium run, Greece will still be what it was 10, 20, and 30 years ago, which was fundamentally a country of 11 million, um, of people who are very vibrant, very outgoing, very extrovert, of people who like to spend, um, and you know, with certain you know, very, very specific you know, cultural features 
Like, you know, you want to be a homeowner but not be over-levered. These are, these are the fundamentals of, uh, of the Greek economy. And it's a place that people want to visit and want to spend their money and actually want to live in Greece rather than um, migrate out of Greece. Uh, so that's, that's my conviction for, uh, for the future and, uh, and, 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 and synonymous to, um, uh, to a very prosperous um, economic activity. I would argue just two more things. One is, couldn't agree more with Kyle. Um, uh, there, is, you know, there is a risk around geopolitics. There is a risk in the sense that, you know, within everything that, um, uh, that, that, that we're experiencing, this is probably the longest period of geopolitical tranquility around Greece. We've never had an uninterrupted 30, 35, 40 years of geopolitical tranquility. So, you know, this commands us to be even more vigilant um, and to actually read through, um, you know, what are the, the underlying risk and dynamics. And, and, and the second point is, again, picking up on something Kyle said, but taking the variant view, and hopefully I'm not going to upset you to, to rename your puppy or anything, but, um, um, but I think that um, uh, there is, Greece hasn't done a great job in terms of marketing uh, how receptive the people of Greece have been to change. There is a continuing uh, perception that, uh, that you know, systemically Greece does not accept change, You've got broken institutions, you've got broken structures. Yeah, you're starting off a, off a very, very low base, um, you know, which is that you, know, you had a, you know, a bankrupt infrastructure um, as a society. But reality is that the depth of the reforms that we've seen in Greece, were they to have happened in any other place of Western Europe, the reaction would have been radically different. Um, I cannot imagine whether it's capital controls or the super deep cuts that we saw in the public sector taking place in places like France or even the UK. And, uh, and the general public actually being so receptive and acceptable to them. Thank you. And just to kind of add a little bit on what Theo said, because it's very crucial. I mean, you know, we have these investors in front of us who five or seven years ago, I couldn't even imagine, you know, Greece getting such attention. Uh, where is this driving? This change and the adaptation of the Greek business people to, um, the, you know, capital such as this. Uh, it means that they accept corporate governance, they accept dilution, and they take in um, capital that demands and requires, you know, business plan rigidity, and um, again, a long-term vision that the Greeks lacked in the past. So, this competitive capital, instead of going anywhere else in the world, if it's diverted towards Greece, it's because it's diverted in places and investments that are willing to accept all of what I just said. So I think um, it's fantastic to hear the, the, where we stand today, where you know, every single year that we come to Capital Link, there's positives and negatives. This year, there's definitely a lot more constructive uh, um, uh, sense on, with, with all the investors, and I'm very happy to hear that. But uh, I think 10 years out, um, we see a completely changing landscape where Greek corporates will be funded by institutional capital that require uh, a lot of things that were not uh, required in the past from Greek businesses. And we see money being diverted in projects that um, are instrumental for a very fundamental change and shift uh, in the Greek economy, such as Aliniko and a lot of other projects that are not only in tourism and so, so high profile, but in every um, other aspect of the, of the Greek economy. So with that, I'm going to open it up for questions. In the back, there's...
Hello, panelists. The question goes for all the panelists. Um, Nikos Hadjus from Merit International. I have a question that has two parts. Um, Mr. Kudunis rightfully so said that um, Greece is lacking investments in hotels and tourism. So the first part of my question to all the panelists is, would your companies be interested in actually investing in hotel investments in Greece? And the second would be, what kind of deals would be appealing uh, for your companies? Thank you. Take it on. The, sec the second part of that question, maybe one of the other panelists heard. What was the, what would you be in? in In tourism. Well, I'll say from our standpoint, um, we don't do much in the hotel and tourism space um, at W.L. Ross. We have been very much focused on identifying interesting corporate opportunities that have a, an export um, bend as well. So we've looked at a few assets that have been unfortunately taken over by the banks, um, independent of what's going on with Eurobank. Um, but also really a place where there's that dynamic shift and kind of a, an opportunity away from the tourism sector. So I probably wouldn't be as helpful to you from that standpoint. Um, I think there is a lot of movement. I think there is a lot of interest in hotels. I think there's been a couple of iconic hotels that have been sold in Greece just recently. Uh, that of Astaire, that of uh, the Hilton. And I think that there are investors. Uh, I know that I have spoken with the CEO of Hyatt uh, very recently, and they are looking at, uh, in Greece as well because they do not have, I think they have one up in Thessaloniki. So I, I, I know that there is interest, and I think that there's uh, got to be continued interest, and uh, I think it grows on each other. The more people see investment and foreign investment, the more the people are going to continue to invest, and I think uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue to see that. I view tourism in Greece from a tourist perspective, actually. Uh, we, we're not well, involved in the... As far as John is concerned, he invests in public markets, and it's unfortunate that there's not a single investable company that represents hotels that he can actually put a few million in. But hopefully that will change. You know, one thing Greece does best is, is tourism, and I think that if the, if the current government would uh, engage in changing the land use permits around the Athenian coast, you know, uh, I don't think it should look like uh, the Spanish coast, but it could easily look like um, southern Italy or even Croatia, for those of you that have been there. Uh, I know the Four Seasons is building there, but they should be calling the Amman and St. Regis and all of these places and, and, and be thoughtfully building the Greek coastline, I think would be a fantastic thing uh, with various concentric circles of GDP growth around them, uh, kind of levering what Greece does best. Like that's my own two cents, uh, but I, and, and I'm not any of those hotels, but that's what I'd be doing. Yeah, I, I would just add to that that, you know, w one thing that, um, that, that the, the, the Greece hospitality sector is probably missing is um, capacity and scale. So we have a lot of fantastic assets, but they're very fragmented. And probably what you need is, is a few more platforms which actually deliver scale to, um, to the feeders of traffic. Because right now, it is a market that, is, that has a, a very much a price-taking um, price idiosyncrasy. One more question here. So thank you for your analysis. As a Greek, this is, you know, I'm delighted to hear something positive uh, in quite a while. Um, so my question is, 
more about you know substantiate your confidence about your analysis. So, what has happened? If you can give us specific examples of what has happened the past few years, couple of years, that make this upward trend sustainable, um, rather than individual uh, optics in a in a system that's fluctuating in crisis and uh, due to extraneous factors. Kyle, I think that was directed uh, towards you. I mean, I'll, ta I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Hey, uh, look, uh, you know, when you look at, when you, again, back to this issue of, of peak GDP declines, you had a real GDP decline of 30%. When you study history of the world, uh, you don't see developed economies that have 30% real GDP declines over a decade. And so, you know, we have, a, we have this term in our office, you can't break your arm jumping out of the basement window. You know, at some point in time, there's a margin of safety that's there that's enough for you uh, to start looking. And, and when the globe's growing at, call it, 2 or 3% real, uh, and Greece is actually, in my opinion, the head of the, the snake of the One Belt, One Road project for China. It's the largest deep water port between Asia and Europe. Like, strategically, tactically, it's, it's one of the most interesting places in the world that's just really found a way to screw everything up. And now I think uh, there's been a lot of intellect kind of poured into Greece uh, that, have, that have turned it around. And again, you look at these macro indicators, and every single macro indicator we can find is, is starting to tick higher. So if you ask whether it's sustainable, I, what, I, what I'll tell you is unsustainable is 30% decline. It's not going to decline another 10% 10, 10 of GDP. Um, I'm fairly certain of that, absent kind of a catastrophic geopolitical event um, on its own. So I just, I think it's, I think it's the, the, the nature and the severity of the decline coupled with kind of the, the duration of the decline lead us to believe it's the right time. If I may add just one, one thing very quickly, and I agree with everything uh, that Kyle said, but um, the other thing is that Greece engaged in a seven or eight year recession and depression, obviously, but also a seven or eight year debate in terms of what it wanted to be. Um, and even, like I said, into the earlier part of this year, so much of the focus was on the political. Um, and so much of the focus over the last three years clearly has been on the political, but for the four or five years before that as well. And I think so much more focus now um, in the markets will be on the fundamental, but that's also, that feeds through into economies as well. When people are always looking at, uh, you know, is there going to be a Grexit or not, that's a really, really negative uh, basis upon which uh, to have a growing economy. People don't invest, people don't engage in economic activity. And when you take that sort of political risk off the table, and then you're just sort of debating how we're going to stay in the Eurozone, how we're going to, um, you know, sort of uh, construct our, our, our you know, political economy, it's a very, very, very different uh, ball of wax. And so I'd argue that uh, off this baseline, there will be more investment. The only question is how much more. So I want to thank the panelists, and unfortunately, we can't have any other questions because Mr. Bornozzi is... <laughs>